Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Free Kick, the Scottish Football Podcast, part of the Sports Social Network that aims for the top corner. I'm Craig Anderson, and we've got some great guests to give the insight and knowledge about our wonderful game. On the show this week, Daily Record sports writer David McCarthy looks back at last weekend, including Rangers smashing four past Celtic, a three-way relegation battle in the Premiership, plus previews the Scottish Cup semi-finals this weekend. Edinburgh City's match commentator Graham Nisbet tells us how he went from announcer to the voice of the citizens and how online streaming has changed the matchday experience, plus former Sunday Mail sports editor and author Alex Gordon talks Celtic, their season to forget, and what on earth is going on with them. All this to come in this week's edition of Free Kick. We're into May now and the end is nigh in terms of the 2021 season, but we're getting there one weekend at a time. Last week saw the final Old Firm game of the season as the Premiership moved closer to its finish, while the bottom three could go all the way in the battle to avoid the drop. Plus, there's a couple of games at Hamden this weekend too. David McCarthy of the Daily Record joined us to discuss what's been happening and I started by asking if Rangers' 4-1 win over Celtic on Sunday was a reflection of their season and how good they've been, or how bad Celtic have been by contrast. It's definitely been a bit of both, Craig. Um, I think Rangers have been um, outstanding, particularly at Ibrox, other than the, the St Johnston result last week, um, which uh, obviously was a major, major blow for them, but they've uh, they bounced back from that um, yet again, as they've done with, they've only really had maybe two this season, two, um, well, they've only had two defeats uh, domestically, um, and on each occasion they've managed to bounce back, but they were aye, they were impressive, and, and uh, on Sunday they thoroughly deserved their win. I know that people would say that, and certainly John Kennedy is saying, that the sending off uh, completely changed the game. Um, I think what John's forgetting is that it was already 1-0 by that stage because the you know Rangers had taken the lead from the incident in which uh, Callum McGregor was sent off. 
Um, and the way that things have tended to go with Rangers when they score first, they very, very rarely lose games um, this season. So I don't really think that the sending off had a major, major influence on it. I think Rangers would have gone on to win the game anyway. Um, you know, and that's them unbeaten in five this season against Celtic. And um, really, I think it was maybe one of the games where Celtic had the upper hand, but generally Rangers have been good value for that. You mentioned the, the sending off of Callum McGregor. That was going to be my next question. John Kennedy says it was harsh. I think he was more referring to the, the first foul, which got him a yellow card in yeah. a couple of minutes before that was harsh. Do you, do you agree with that? Um, I think it was one of them that some refs would have given it, some some wouldn't have given it. Um, I think Jack Simpson also got a yellow card reasonably early in the game from Nick Walsh. Again, it was one of them that I think the referee was trying to impose his authority on it. It was his, it's his first old firm game. Um, and maybe he was a little bit quick to get the cards out in the early part of the game. Um, that said, it was one I thought that McGregor's could have been a yellow card, um, the, the initial one, and certainly the second one, I don't think there's any doubt that that was a yellow card. And, you know, Callum's now a fairly experienced player, very experienced player, and he should have known better than to go to ground, um, you know, and make that challenge when uh, he's already on a yellow card. So I think Celtic contributed to their own downfall in that respect. The thing I like about Rangers this year, we all know how good a player Morelos is. He's basically carried that forward line the last couple of seasons. This year, he's not scored as much. He's not been getting into bother as much. But then we've seen the emergence of guys like Kamar Roof. And as we saw, Jermaine Defoe still has a part to play as well. Yeah, absolutely. They've um, they've spread out the goals this season far better than they had in the past. And Morelos is... Um, his performances have been different this season. You know, he's dropping a lot shorter. Um, linking the play, bringing other people into play and then because he's dragging defenders out that's given the likes of your Hadji on one side or your Ryan Kent particularly on the other side the chance to go in behind and uh, it's been absolutely devastating I think there's an argument to be said for that Morelis has actually been more important to them this season despite not scoring the number of goals that he has in the previous two um, I think he's been terrific he's, been, he's absolutely pivotal to how Rangers play and I think that getting him signed up for, a, well, not so much signed up, but keeping him for another season, if they can, with the lure of the Champions League, perhaps, going to, uh, you know, possibly keeping him, will be absolutely vital to Rangers, because I don't think they've got another player like him. So the big question, two games to go, can Rangers finish the season unbeaten in the Premiership? I genuinely think they've broken the back of it now. Um, you know, I mean, I think that people might have been looking at Celtic going there with, <clears throat> on Sunday with Rangers, you know, coming off the back of the St Johnston game, uh, a few injuries also piling up now. Um, that that may have been the opportunity for somebody to to break the run, but it's not happened. I think Livingston have kind of ran the race this season. Uh, that's Rangers' next game, and then the final game of the season is uh, obviously Aberdeen at Ibrox. Rangers haven't lost at Ibrox for more than a year now. I don't see them losing that. Nah, I think um, I think they will go through the season unbeaten, and it's it's a fairly remarkable feat. And of course, it brings up the question of the Invincibles tag. You know, a lot of Celtic fans in particular. Yeah. One point that I can think of, Chris Sutton um, arguing the <clears> fact <throat> that well, what Celtic did was invincible. They went unbeaten the whole season domestically as well, won the two cups as well. Yeah. As Rangers are only un- invincible in the league. Where do you stand on that argument? I. I, to be honest with you, I, I don't really think it matters that much and I don't think it matters at all to the likes of Stephen Gerrard about what, what labels are put on, you know, achievements. Um, 
I happen to think if you go through an entire league season unbeaten as Arsenal did twenty five years ago, twenty years ago, they get they get tagged as an invincibles. Um, you know, they and they drew far more games than Rangers have, but they never lost one. Rangers haven't lost one in the league either. What Brendan Rodgers did in 2016 was astonishing. You know, when you think that they went through every competition, every domestic competition without losing a game. Um, remarkable. And I don't think that, that we'll see that again. I think it's such a difficult thing to do. Um, so I think that I think you can tag Rangers as invincibles in a league sense, because if they don't lose a game, then that's exactly what they are. Um, so, yeah, if I was pushed on it, I would say, yeah, they deserve they deserve that tag. But I genuinely don't think it actually matters to the people within the walls of Ibrox. So I'll touch on Celtic now. There's a case that they're maybe going through the motions now. The league's long gone. You know, we know that they're in transition with John Kennedy, keeping the seat warm, basically, for we. We might assume Eddie Howe's going to take over. Where do they go from here? Do they need to announce a manager soon and start preparing for next season? Or do you think that'll wait to the end of the season once the, the final ball's been kicked? I think it's an absolute head-scratcher, to be honest with you. If it is Eddie Howe as the man, then why is he not in the door at the minute? Um, you know, trying to basically assess the staff that are there, the players that are there, and to get, you know, to basically get a feel for the size of the job. Um, unless there's some contractual situation at Bournemouth where he's, he can't take a job for a certain number of time, a certain amount of time after he'd left or something, I don't know. But if anyhow is the man and everything is kind of pointing that way, then I don't really get why he's not in the door already. I don't also understand how we could be sitting there thinking, right, I'm going to take over this job and say June the 1st or something, or maybe contractually, um, but he's not ready putting out feelers for players or, you know, because he must know the size of the, the rebuild that's that's necessary at Celtic Park. You know, I mean, it's it's practically a full team that he's going to have to bring in. Um, you know, like his goalkeepers are not good enough. Um, Ayer looks as if he, he wants out, so he needs another centre-half to play alongside Julian if Julian ever gets fit. Um he doesn't have a right back. Um, you know, he's got Greg Taylor at left back. Is he good enough? Who knows? Um, centre midfield, Scott Brown's gone. Um, I think that Ryan Christie has possibly already played his last game for the club because I don't think he'll be there next season. Um, Carl McGregor will be wanted down south by the, the art clubs. And I know that Brendan Rodgers is still a huge admirer of Carl McGregor. So, um, although this the noises coming from Celtic Park seem to be that Callum wants to stay and Callum will stay. Um, you know, up front, Edward won't be there. He's certainly playing like a man that believes he won't be there. So that's their main striker. Um, you've got Ayeti who they spent a lot of money on and basically hasn't kicked a ball for them. So do you move him on? So right throughout the, the team, they're you know, like from practically from one to eleven. You've got your loan signings like El Yanusi. Um, obviously, Shane Duffy's been a disaster. There's no other way word to describe it. Um, so the loan uh, lacks out. So they'll all go out the door as well. And again, you're going to need replacements. So their Champions League qualifiers, I think, start in something like July 19 or something like that. So, you know, if any house coming in, he's going to have possibly six weeks to, um, to basically build a new team. And to do that and for that team to be strong enough to put in a serious challenge to Rangers, 
that's a huge ask. And the other thing, Craig, is that this season coming, as in next season, you know, it's possibly an even bigger season than this one has been with the whole 10 in a row thing, which obviously, you know, I mean, that's a local bragging rights, if you want to call it that. Next season, the champions go straight into the Champions League. So you're actually playing for a £35 million prize pot this season. Whoever wins the league this time next season is guaranteed about 35 million quid. So Celtic need to get it right because otherwise Rangers are going to just disappear off into the sunset as they've done this season as well. Only next season, they're straight into the Champions League and um, they're picking up that prize pot. Interesting times ahead at Celtic. On to the relegation battle. Three teams um, are fighting out the, the two spots. The, the one that sees them goes down automatically and the playoff spots between Ross County, Kilmarnock and Hamilton. Three points between them, two games left. How's this going to finish? Oh, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, absolutely, who knows? Um, I was at the St Mirren-Hamilton game at the weekend and Hamilton were terrific. They just always seem to pull a result out of the bag when they need it. Um, St Mirren looked like a team that had a one eye on the cup semi-final and also had nothing to play for in terms of the league. But Hamilton were just so committed and they were they totally deserved a victory. Um, Ross County, again, they went to Dundee United, kind of similar circumstances with Dundee United having the Cup semi-final to come. And uh, by all accounts, Ross County thoroughly deserved, deserved their win as well. And uh, conversely, Kilmarnock, who had been going well, go to Motherwell, who have got nothing to play for and lose 2 nothing. So... I've still got a feeling that because Kelly have got Kyle Lafferty, who is a genuine goal scorer, that they might just get out of it. And then it's a basically a week on Wednesday, Dingwall, Hamilton against uh, Ross County, Ross County against Hamilton. I think the winner of that stays up or finishes 11th and the loser goes down. But who knows? There we go. And you've got Hamilton who've been over this course before. That they're well versed in it. Brian Rice always talks up his players as well. How much can that help them going into these final two games? No, I think the fact that they've been there and done it so often. Although a lot of their players, like your Dougie Emerys and Darian McKinnon and people like that, they're they're now no longer influencing things on the pitch. You know, they've been there and seen it and done it so often. Whereas they've now got a lot of young players. But um, but the likes of you know your Lee Hodsons and your um, Callahan's, who uh, Ross Callahan, who was uh, terrific on Saturday, um, they can pull the younger ones through this. I think I've, I do have a feeling that Hamilton may just finish up in the in the relegation playoff place, and then they'll be taking on you know Dundee and Fermline Wraith Rovers. And over the two games, I would fancy Hamilton to survive that. So I, th- I think they'll they'll have a ninth successive season in the Premiership next season. From a media point of view, when you see a battle like this playing out, three teams, you know, basically fight, fighting over the one spot to survive. How, how good is it to to be involved in that and, and see it play out basically in front of your eyes? Yeah, it's um, it's been a godsend this season and probably most seasons it is as well, but particularly this season because when you look at the top six, you know, it's it's kind of done and dusty. To you, but obviously, Rangers are the champions. Celtic can't be touched in second place. Hibs have almost secured third and um, they're not far away from doing that now so there's not an awful lot of interest there but the uh, all the interest is at the foot of the table and the fact that there are three teams separated by very very little with only two games to go uh, that 
probably will go to the last kick of the ball. And um, yeah, from a media point of view, it's it's always interesting. Yeah. On to the Scottish Cup semi-finals. Just a quick word on them: the United against the Burnley on Saturday, St Mirren against St Johnson on Sunday. And I think a lot of fans are looking forward to the fact that none of the old firm are involved. It opens the, the competition right out. Is that again from a media point of view? Is that something you enjoy as well? Not knowing just uh, who's going to come out on top in those two ties. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we had that as well with the Betfred Cup semi-finals when um, you know uh, Celtic and Rangers were both knocked out of that before the the last four stages. Unfortunately, those games, particularly the St Mirren-Livingston semi-final, was a really, really poor game. I think that the, the clubs certainly seemed to, like, they were so close to the big prize that I think that they both kind of froze on the day and, you know, Livingston got through got through with the only goal. Um, St Johnston demolished Hibs that day as well. Um, and they, you know, they thoroughly deserved to, to eventually win to eventually win the League Cup but um, this time it's I think it's going to be really really open um, you know I mean you look at you look at Hibs they're probably the best team out of the four but would you would you bet on Hibs winning it um, I don't think I would because they can still be flaky and they, they can throw in a, a performance a really poor performance just when you don't expect it as they have done in the last couple of semi-finals that they've been in um, so I think Hibs might have enough to get past Dundee United. I strongly fancy St Johnston to beat St Mirren if St Mirren play anything as poorly as they did at the weekend. And also St Johnston are on the crest of a wave just now. They're just absolutely flying. Um, so if it's a Hibs-St Johnston final, um, I think that'll be a really, really good game. Um, and I quite fancy St Johnston to go on and, and do the double, which would be an absolutely astonishing achievement for a club of that size and for Callum Davidson in his first season as a manager. And of course, you're looking at the final um, coming up later in the month as well, with two of obviously those four teams. Not going to be any fans. We're seeing more and more places getting opened up now. That the pandemic seems to have eased off a bit now where we are getting out a bit more. Big disappointment, the fact we can't even get a... Uh, you know, a minimum amount of fans into Hamden to, to enjoy what should be a showpiece occasion. It's absolutely ludicrous, Craig. Um, and I know the SFA are making noises about it, the fact that the stadium has been rebranded for um, the, the Euros, and so that's that's the real reason. But for me, that's not the real reason. Um, uh, the Scottish FA, if they'd wanted to, then they could have moved this final as a one-off. They could have moved it somewhere else. You know, and you know, had that been say. A, a time castle or somewhere like that. And even if you're allowing 5,000, 8,000 fans in or something, the atmosphere would have been absolutely brilliant. Um, I just don't really think that um, that there is a desire for it. And as we're speaking, to, as I'm speaking to you today, you know, you can turn on your telly tonight and you can watch the World Snooker final um, at the Crucible, which is indoors. And it's a capacity crowd of 980. And they're all sitting next to each other. Indoors, so you're so you can't tell me that having five thousand fans, six thousand fans in an open air stadium um, can't be done because it's it's just there, there just seems to be a lack of willingness and and I think it's I think it's terrible I think it like for these footballers this will be possibly the biggest game of their career and for no fans to be in there. To celebrate with them or commiserate with them, whatever happens, I think is um, I think it's shameful. Actually, I think that that a lot more could have been done, and I have to say that I also think the Scottish FA could have done more to help the clubs. 
Andrew McCarthy from the Daily Record. Still to come on Free Kick, commentator Graham Nisbet from Edinburgh City on whether streaming has been good or bad for his club and former Sunday Mail sports editor Alex Gordon on Celtic's issues. Back after this. Welcome back. One thing that's changed the way we watch football this season has been online streaming. With fans not allowed in stadiums throughout the campaign, clubs have had to invest in equipment to basically create an in-house production and show it live to their fans. League 2 side Edinburgh City are no different and they've done just that, so I had a chat with their match commentator Graham Nisbet about how the setup has worked for them there. Well, it's, it's, it's obviously been quiet without the fans and not only do we miss them, the team misses them as well um, for, for that extra push if you're needing it and when you're needing it but uh, it's it's been, just been a different way of football over the last wee while um, but we did go into the television a wee bit and uh, my role was changed I used to be a stadium announcer uh, and I got a wee phone call one morning asking me if I would like to be the voice of Edinburgh City, as they call us. <laughs> but um, that, that's... Uh, so I was delighted. It took me about three seconds to say yes. And the club invested a bit of money and obviously new equipment and stuff like that. So, But it was a great move because it not only kept um, the fans engaged with the club and what was going on, they could watch their team, even supposing they weren't allowed in the stadium. And it also gave uh, the club some kind of income which, uh, where the fans were great. They just supported it in droves. I think that uh, was something around, I think I looked yesterday and there was 833 registrations, which is phenomenal considering we only get about two or 300 for a crowd. And of course, there's the technical aspect as well. You, you mentioned your roles change, which we'll discuss in a little bit more detail shortly. But the technical sure. aspect, what's it like working with the guys? You know, Is there a lot of jargon involved? Just tell us a bit more about that. Well, working with the guys is fine. Um, they sort of had some kind of experience in the field. Um, and basically, I had experience through what I'd done in the past with presentation work and uh, DJing work and stuff like that. So um, the voice was there. It's just putting it into practice in a different way. So we've got, we've got the, I sort of drafted an outline of, of a script-type idea and uh, basically followed it from there. I'm still following it, actually, if you've ever watched me. Um, I'm still following the script, but not to the letter, of course. It's a wee bit more relaxed, isn't it? <laughs> and, of course, the commentary involves that, that a lot of preparation involved. You want to get all your information correct. You're, you're, you know what you're talking about in terms of the players and you know, form and things like that. What, what kind of preparation time do, does it take you? How long does it take to prepare for, for a game? <laughs> If you want, if you want the honest truth, probably about half an hour, to be <laughs> quite honest, um, because I do use the the template script there, and I change the teams and the dates, and I'm giving secrets away, you know, on this, <laughs> and I change, I change the teams and the dates to suit, um, and obviously the background I can go into what they did last week, um, who they were playing, where they are in the league, you, you find these off the internet fairly easily if you know where to look, you know. And of course, back to your role, you were talking about the fact you were the stadium announcer before with uh, with the citizens. Now you're the announcer. How have you found the change? What kind of what kind of ways have you have you had to adapt to to get your your <clears throat> format right? 
Well, first it was um, a wee bit daunting, to be quite honest. My very first game, and what made it first, uh, what made it worse, the first game, it was against Livingston in the Betfred Cup at home. But sitting next to me, I had John Hughes, Big Yogi, and John Collins, and Eddie May sitting in front of me, <laughs> and it was really, really quite intimidating because they could hear me obviously every word I was saying, saying, and. Uh, some of the looks I was getting were great, I must admit. But uh, John Collins was quite supportive, so uh, I'll thank him for that just now. But, um, yeah, it's been good. I've loved it. Uh, obviously, relaxing a wee bit more, and, and as you know, I've consulted yourself about a few things, about how do I get rid of the nerves so much, how do I stop stuttering so much. And basically, if I, and I found that um, if I relax a wee bit more, just let myself be myself. And, and cut out the BBC voice and just speak the way I'm speaking just now. So um, it can, you know, just be a normal guy come across as that. And uh, and it's, it's actually turning out pretty good. And of course, it takes you those first few games to, to find a rhythm with it, doesn't it? Just to, to find the rhythm of the, the game, the way you're speaking, the, the way you describe the action as well. How long did it take you? How many games can you can you do that? Well, I don't know if it was that many. I don't know if it was how many games. I don't know if I could gauge on that because I'm still at this moment making mistakes. And, and the manager, the, the previous manager, um, James McDonough, um, and I had a wee laugh about it recently. But um, I used to get players mixed up. We've got a Blair Henderson, as, as your listeners may know. Um, we've got a Blair Henderson. We've got a Liam Henderson. And very often, if we put, I, was asked, well, I asked the manager not to play the two of them together because I was getting mixed up and calling them different names. <laughs> and the same with uh, the same with Liam Brown and Andy Black. I, I, for, for one reason or another, um, I used to get Black and Brown mixed up. And he actually asked me if I was colourblind at one point. But um, <laughs> it's, it's so easy because you start with B, and once you've started with the letter B, the just the next thing rolls off your tongue. It's that quick, and it takes a wee bit of time. I must admit to get used to um, who's playing in front of you, I mean, even your own team, because that changes from time to time as well. I've tried to memorise numbers and names, which has helped me. So if I can see their number, I'll probably know who it is by now. But um, if a new number comes in, then that's okay. If three come in at the same time, then you've got a really a wee bit of work to do there to get to get up to speed with it. But um, lucky we've got a team lines there and uh, they help out quite a lot, I must admit, especially with the, the visiting team because, um, you know, at the start I didn't know. I know one or two players because they come down to the Premier League into uh, second division football, but uh, a lot of the players I didn't know. So I've actually went our way and read up about a few of them and, and I get, you know, the more often you play them, you get a lot easier. At it. it gets a lot easier for you, but you get a lot easier um, approach to the game from yourself because you know you're going to do all right. I only get nervous if I think I'm not going to do all right. And well, if you're getting brown and black mixed up, thank goodness you're not a snooker commentator. Um, <laughs> let's move on. Of course, streaming has played a big part for all the clubs. Of course, as you've already mentioned, Edinburgh City had to invest a bit of money to, to get that in. Now, what we're hoping that the pandemic, the worst of it is over, we're starting to see things open up again. We're hoping, fingers crossed, we'll start seeing fans yeah. back in stadiums again. That could be next season. What is the future for streaming? Do you think it's something the club will keep going um, in, in the future? 
Well, I would like to think that we keep it going because there's always, I think there's always going to be a platform for that. I think that um, the, the the fans will return in their droves when we, when we start back under normal circumstances, if that's going to be the case. But um, I think there's, there'll always be a platform for it because some people can't get out of the house. You know, there's people who would rather sit in the house and watch it on television and pay a like a tenner or whatever it is, um, and then pay 15 quid at the turnstiles. But there's an awful lot of people who would want to come to the game. But I, no, I still think there's going to be a platform in some way, you know, but I don't know what that way is going to be yet. I don't think MD does, and um, I don't think any of the clubs can answer that either. Before we go, let's ask you about Edinburgh City. They finished second in the league as the this regular season, if I can call it that, has finished. You've got Elgin over two legs in the, the playoff semi-finals coming up. How do you see that one going? Well, um, we beat Elgin last time out. It was only last Saturday um, at Ainsley Park Stadium, and we beat them 2-0. So hopefully we're away, first of all, on Saturday. I've got a long drive on Saturday. I'm away up to Elgin. But we're going to go up there, and I don't know. Elgin are one of these t- surprise teams. And I've still to understand this. They're maybe bad travellers. And maybe are we. Because Elgin City, um, after, well, they're, they're already beaten Queen's Park at home uh, in Elgin by three goals to nil. And then they come down to our place and we beat them 2 nil. And then on the Tuesday night, when we, or on the Thursday night, when we were at Falker getting a, a lesson in football, um, they, they went away. Uh, they, no, I'm getting mixed up now. It was Saturday there, sorry. Um, they they beat uh, Queen's Park 3-1. So a team that can beat Queen's Park twice, yet they come away down here to play us and they get beat 2-0. And it was the same team. So the, Elgin City are one of these hot and cold teams, I think. And I think that um, if, we, if we can get up there and not be as tired, you know, because there's been an awful lot of games Tuesdays, uh, Thursdays, Saturdays, Sometimes you're playing three games a week. And if you've not got a big squad, you can't, and a good squad, a solid squad, then the manager won't want to rotate them, but he has to. His hands are tied there uh, through tiredness. And I think about every player in the top five clubs in that league is carrying some kind of injury, some kind of scrape, bang, bash, bruising, whatever. You know, they've all got it now because they've played that many games. But I think... um, I think Edinburgh City, you're looking for a prediction here. I think I would hope to think, and I would like to think, we could come through this uh, next two games and uh, go, go on and, in fact, get promoted. So it all depends on the result at Elgin, I think. But they've still to come down here. And being fair to our team, we played well on Saturday there. But uh, Elgin City didn't really bring much with them, to be quite honest. I was, I was kind of disappointed in their approach to the game. Um, because they didn't go out and attack as you would you would think they would, because they needed the points at the time. Um, and City were just happy to sit back, play it along the ground, and be patient. And we ended up with two goal, two good goals on Saturday. So I would say I think I've got to say Edinburgh City, not because I'm up there, but um, because that's my genuine feeling. And if I thought it was going to be Elgin City, I would say so as well.
Graham Nisbet, Edinburgh City's commentator on streaming and how it's gone for them. Still to come on Free Kick, Alex Gordon, author of many Celtic books including A Boy Called Bertie and In Praise of Caesar about Billy McNeil, tells us how it's going wrong at Celtic. Back in a minute. Welcome back to Free Kick. In Glasgow, three teams are celebrating title wins, while one can't wait for the season to end. The Champagne Corks may have already popped at Rangers, Partick Thistle and Queen's Park, but at Celtic Park, it's a campaign they'd rather shut the curtains on and forget it ever existed. Neil Lennon has gone as manager, and a new boss is still to be announced, although the signs are it could well be Eddie Howe. But it's been one thing after another this season, so I called up Alex Gordon, the former Sunday Mail sports editor and author, to get his take on the events that have unfolded. Uh, I think Celtic uh, found an enormous self-destruct button and been pushing on it all the way through. Uh, It's been an absolutely incredible season. It's one of these ones, if it could go wrong, it's gone wrong. Uh, The only change in the squad, the first team squad really, was Fraser Foster. He was the only one from the team that had won the, the treble uh, the season before it, he was the only one that was gone. Um, so you 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 think you're bringing in other players. You still you see Sorrow coming through. Klimala, uh, we didn't know too much about. So you think it's a stronger team, but then you realise, in real terms, that the recruitment has been fairly awful. Uh, Barkas, what can I say about the the fella? He just hasn't settled in Scotland. I accept that he's joined us in the middle of a COVID pandemic, which wouldn't make life easy for him to settle into new surroundings in a new country. But Craig, you've got to say that's that's been the same for every single player who has been transferred in recent times. And some have gone to foreign countries and hit the ground running. But the guys, if you're going to just look at statistics, the, the guys uh, saving uh, actual the ratio is fairly awful. Um, I could say he's played two games this season, or this year, I should say, against Rangers at Ibrox and Livingston and West Lothian. He's lost three goals in both games, three efforts on target. He's got a 100% loss rate this year. Uh, I can't see that there's any way back from it, Celtic. But does complacency come into it in some regard, given that Rangers the last couple of seasons have collapsed in the second half of the season, or did they simply just take their eye off the ball? <clears throat> uh, probably not, neither. Uh, certainly not complacency, because uh, if they had been complacent, I don't think they would have gone out and bought uh, a £4.5 million goalkeeper and a £5 million striker in a Yeti. They, they were attempting to strengthen the team. Uh, David Turnbull came in as well. Uh, and like I say, they had Sorrow and Klamala with very little football between them. Virtually new new signings. So I don't think uh, I don't think it was complacency. Did they take the eye off the ball? You could probably think that they did. Uh, I, I, they just didn't hit the ground running. You know, and and it, it's Craig. It's too easy if you look at Celtic. As <laughs> I've been watching football for a, an awful long time, you need a spine. You need a good goalkeeper. You need a good central defender. You need a good guy up front. And this particular season, Celtic haven't had that those three co- those positions covered. The goalkeeper, uh, whether it's been Barkas, Hazard is he's a rookie keeper, so you don't want to be too hard on him. And he, he saved the two penalties against Hearts. But if you actually look at the three goals that Hearts scored in the cup final, 
I don't think he looked particularly clever with any of them. Uh, and Scott Bain is a steady Eddie. You know, he's, he's for me, he's not flamboyant. He gets the job done, and he's certainly the best of the three. Uh, central defence, they've had all sorts of permutations in there. And the one guy that they thought who would be able to go in there uh, as a rock was Shane Duffy. And it clearly, clearly hasn't worked out for, for Shane Duffy. And up front, Odson Edward um, hasn't shown. Uh, certainly around the first half of the season, again, you go back to stats. And I'm not really a stats-driven person, but you've got to look at them. He scored three goals against Hamilton Ackies in the first game of the season, August the 2nd. And then never scored another goal from open play until uh, he scored one against the United in December 30. The other three goals he contributed up to that point were penalty kicks. That's not a good uh, return from your main striker. So the spine of the team, Celtic didn't get right. And just here we are today, it's still not right. And of course, COVID incidents have played a part. Well, I wouldn't say played a part in the, the whole campaign, but they certainly haven't helped the, the Bolly Bolling goalie incident back at the start of the season, the ill-fated trip to Dubai as well. Those factors certainly wouldn't have helped at the time either. Uh, no, uh, ball and ball and goalie is just uh, that's insanity. I mean, there's no other word for that. To to think you could sneak out the country for a couple of days in the sunshine and, and not be spotted uh, was uh, was goes beyond comprehension. Uh, and the boys probably cost it's going to cost me Celtic career. It's, I mean, people are saying, you know, other people have been caught doing this, that, and the next thing. A lot of people maybe got to parties. But I don't recall too many people jumping on a plane and, and heading off to Marbella. Uh, so I think Celtic frowned in that. There was no way he was going to get to kick a ball this season. And I would sincerely doubt Unless, of course, a new manager comes in and it's a new broom and he says, let's have a look at the guy. And Celtic will be looking for a left-back uh, next season because most certainly Diego Laxell is going back to AC Milan. Um, as for Dubai... Yeah, we could go on about this one forever and a day, but I can't, I, for sure, Celtic checked with the Scottish government on the day. Uh, I know that they checked with them. Uh, they, the scientists as well told them to go. And it's just one of these accidents waiting to happen that one of the guys, Julian, who couldn't really have anything to contribute in the trip because he's injured his knee on December 30. And he's going to be out now until October, November. So why take him there? They said that the scientists, the Celtic uh, docs and whatever, were on the trip and they could maintain the, the work on him. Uh, I don't buy that. Uh, they should have left him for five or six days at home and then picked up. There was there was no way he was making a comeback this season. Um, I've seen, uh, I've read all sorts of stuff. Celtic thought they were okay. And to be fair to Celtic, um, it's worked for them. And in the, in the, the past three or four years when they've had the winter break and the winter, the hot training, the hot weather training, it's worked for them. And they needed, of all the seasons, they needed a pick-me-up uh, this turn of the year, um, uh, Craig. Uh, backfired. And as the season went on, we could see how much it was affected. Neil Lennon' frustration um, tended to, to grow with him as the season went on. Um, I, I, in your capacity, Alex, I guess you, you know him. How much sympathy did you have for him? Oh, a lot of sympathy, of course. Uh, he, he was struggling. He was, you could see that the, 
he was struggling. Things weren't working more or less from day one. Uh, again, you could go back to uh, the ball and goalie situation when the government uh, took two games away early in the season against Aberdeen and St Mirren. At that stage of the season, you're still working on your match fitness. And Celtic then play Ferns Farris without these games. Now, these played these, it's, I mean, it's all ifs and buts, Greg. But it could have helped them get through against Ferns Farris. That that really was the, the game. So early on in the season, that was in August, that one started to really put the shakes through Celtic. Um, the combinations that, that Neil Lennon was trying, uh, just nothing was clicking. I mean, uh, everybody but everybody thought Shane Duffy would be a good player in that position, playing that style of football. We had seen Julian being ragdolled a couple of times. Uh, Lyndon Dykes at Livingston, Big Phil at Kilmarnock. They needed somebody in there that was rock solid. Christopher Ayer's not that type of player either. He wants to play football. So they needed somebody that was going to just sit in there, head the ball for miles and pass it for miles. And Duffy, for whatever reason, just came up short. So uh, he did try. He thought he had everything in place. Uh, and you can't really equate for a Yeti. People are still saying he's not fit. How long does it take you to get fit, Craig? Very true. So we're into April, nearly end of April, a couple of games from the end of the season. As we speak, it's uh, Old Firm Week. And, of course, John Kennedy's been in the job for a couple of months now. Just kind of keeping the seat warm, I think, is the best way of putting it. It must be a terrible time when the league's long gone. There's nothing really to play for. There's going to be so many changes at Celtic that you're really just limping to the end of the season. Well, Celtic would continue to say to you, and uh, across the road at Ibrooks as well, there's a lot of pride to play play for in these clubs. You know, it's, it, it, there should be a lot of pride. Uh, but it would be fair to say that there are a number in that team, in that squad, who, who will be looking elsewhere uh, just now. Don't see them going out and getting a broken leg. They've got uh, three, three league games to go. Uh, the game against Rangers, well, that should take care of itself. I mean, you, if you can't get motivated uh, for that game and the, the opportunity to try and a, beat Rangers at the fifth attempt and then and try also to stop the, the, the unbeaten run in the, in the league, I mean, it's, uh, the, the, there are targets there for them. Now, as the managerial um, sort of hunt at the moment, they're looking at Eddie Howe. He looks to be the, the man that's going to be in place. We don't know that at the time of recording, but according to reports, he has been setting up his, his backroom team. What would you make of Eddie Howe in that role uh, as Celtic manager when you look at his career so far? Uh, well, he's impressed uh, Dermot Desmond, and uh, he is the man you've got to impress. And I, I don't think he'd become a double billionaire uh, with making too many mistakes. Uh, he's taken over this side of the, the negotiations, which shows you how serious he is. And as far as I'm reading things that he's taken his eye off the ball as well, I can tell you that's not the case. Dermot Desmond is still hands-on and he wants to get this turned around very quickly. Uh, Eddie Howe, 43 years old, he's coming from Bournemouth, where uh, I think the capacity crowd at the Vitality Stadium is 11,000. You contrast that with 13,000 turned out to welcome Brendan Rodgers to Celtic uh, on the day that he was appointed. So he's, he's once the crowds get back, Craig, he's going to he's 
going to have to learn very quickly. But by all accounts, he's a knowledgeable guy. It's a huge move for him. Um, it's, I think a lot of people uh, had been saying that uh, it, it was a non-starter right from the off. Well, that's not the case. Clearly not the case. I mean, it, what I'm hearing is that it's, it's on the brink, if you want to put it that way. Um, so he will be bringing in his own guys. Um, I'm reading that there may be problems. I'm told that there are no deal breakers in there. Uh, and he's going to have to start building a team, building a squad. There's, uh, I mean, Edward will be away. Pretty certain Ryan Christie will be away. Christopher Ayer will be away. Uh, you've, I mean, you've got, uh, there are other blokes. Scott Brown, obviously, he's been there. 2007, he's been a leader um, in so many ways. Going to have to replace him. Callum McGregor's not the same type of human being. Different persona altogether. Uh, so there's a, a lot of work to be done. But the the guy has had a lot of time to think about it, let's face it. Um, so how does he start planning and reining Rangers back in for next season then? What's the first thing you think he has to do? Well, other managers have been in a similar situation, uh, Craig, and they've, they've managed it. You know, if you look at uh, Wim Janssen uh, came in for, for Tommy Burns uh, when Tommy Burns was uh, fired by Fergus. Uh, Wim Janssen, there was a total upheaval at Celtic at the time. Uh, if you look at the, the only guy that, that Janssen had really any knowledge of was Henrik Larsson. But in that, uh, in that season, over the period of the season, and a team that actually went on to stop Rangers winning 10, they, they brought in Paul Lambert, they brought in Mark Reaper, they brought in Harold Bratback, Jonathan Gould, the goalkeeper, uh, Stefan May, left back, uh, Craig Burley. So it's a very similar situation. There's a, there's a summer of upheaval coming Celtic's way. There's a new manager going in. He doesn't really know uh, Scottish football. Wim Janssen didn't know it. Although Janssen at that time had uh, David Hay to help him through. And the, a lot of the signings that were made, uh, David and Tommy Burns before him had looked at these guys. So you've got to hope that in, the, in that uh, two months since Lenny left, that um, Eddie Howe will have a fair idea of the players that he thinks at the moment could do jobs for Celtic. And as we've touched upon, a lot of changes to come at Celtic. Peter Lawwell's retiring as CEO. Dominic Mackay's come in from the Scottish Rugby Union. Scott Brown, as you mentioned, is leaving. He's off to Aberdeen in the summer. So with a club like Celtic and the demands that are always placed upon them, is there any such thing as a transition period? You've got to hit the ground running at a club like that, of course. Absolutely. Uh, if they have been Tony Mowbray uh, took over from uh, Gordon Strachan, uh, in one of his press conferences, Tony said it's a three-year plan. The Celtic fans didn't want to hear that. The Celtic directors, boardroom, <laughs> didn't want to hear that either. Uh, there was no three-year plan. It was get the job done and get it done now. There's no comfort zone at, at either Celtic or at Ibrox. It, it doesn't work that way. They've got a. It's the here and now. I mean, Celtic. The, I mean, the fans turning up at Celtic Park after the. You know, the, the the bad result against Ross County in the Betfred League Cup, the draw with St Johnson in the league uh, around about November time. Uh, that the, the fact that this team had won trebles, had up until then had won nine domestic trophies, uh, we're making history everywhere. It's the here and now. If you stop 
producing at that level, these guys are not happy and they're not the most patient. Any Celtic manager will tell you that, whether it's Billy McNeil would have, would have told you the exact same. The loyalty that, that Billy engendered is, with, with his legendary status, the fans at Celtic Park uh, in his last season, uh, they were clearly unhappy with what they were watching. And unfortunately, they let everybody know. So you got to hit the ground running. It's as simple as that. Alex Gordon on Celtic's season of woe. Before we go, let's see where the action is this weekend. And we start at Hamden with the Scottish Cup semi-finals. Dundee United taking on Hibs at 4 o'clock on Saturday. And then on Sunday, St Mirren against St Johnson at 2.15. Moving into the playoffs, plenty of good playoff action coming up. Wraith Rovers taking on Dunfermline in the second leg of their quarter-final as they vie for a place for the Premiership next year. Nil-nil aggregate after the first game earlier in the week. The... Playoffs for the Championship sees Cove Rangers take on Airdrieonians at 3 o'clock on Saturday. Montrose also taking on Morton at the same time. And for League 2, Elgin versus Edinburgh City. Both teams going for a place in League 1. They play their first leg tie. And of course, let's not forget the pyramid playoff. Kelty Hearts against Brora Rangers. 2-0 Kelty lead after the first leg. And the winners, of course, will go on and play Brecon City in the next game after that. So that's your lot for Free Kick, part of the Sports Social Network. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Subscribe and download from your podcast provider to hear more from the people in the know. We're on Twitter at free underscore kick pod and keep an eye on Facebook and Instagram where we'll be launching very soon. My thanks to guests David McCarthy, Graham Nisbet and Alex Gordon for their contributions and I'll be back next week to bring you more from Scottish football. Have a great weekend and enjoy whatever football you watch. Talk to you soon. Bye for now. Podcast Network. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.